Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm on a highway on the very eastern edge of Tijuana. It's dusk. It's about 6 p.m. and the sun is starting to come down. ¿Y tú eres de aquí, de Tijuana? ¿De aquí, Tijuana? Sí. Originario de Tijuana. Sí, de Tijuana. Mil por ciento. Mil por ciento. I'm driving with Jesus Aguilar, who's a local reporter who covers crime in the city. And as most people are driving back home, this is usually when his day starts. Mi trabajo, yo me enfoqué al 100% en esto. Eh, vivo de esto. The hours are long, and he says everyone knows each other, reporters, police, paramedics. All of them carry radios where they share reports of what's happening in the city. A los que nos dedicamos al, a reportear en la calle, Jesus's family is used to him going out until late. Crime doesn't necessarily have a schedule, and this is how Jesus makes his living. But for the last couple of years, he's been cutting back on his time reporting, as violence towards journalists in Tijuana and throughout Mexico keeps on rising. Sí, le bajé un poco porque, la verdad, los homicidios no, no cesaban. Jesús's mentor, Margarito Martínez, was a photographer who covered the crime beat here in Tijuana for nearly 20 years. En mi nombre es Margarito Martínez Esquivel, reportero gráfico, y trabajo en prensa desde hace casi 20 años. He was killed earlier this year. Today, a journalist murdered in Tijuana, one of the most dangerous cities in Mexico. Jesus and Margarito worked very closely together. They had a buddy system that they developed to keep each other safe. Margarito Martinez Esquivel, a crime reporter and photographer, shot dead outside his home on Monday. De hecho, esa tarde fue muy lamentable para mí, ya que él me marcó. Margarito had actually called Jesus on the day that he was killed. He, he called to tell him about a shooting that happened in a neighborhood of Tijuana that's very close to the border. And right after he ended the phone call, just a couple minutes after, Jesus hears a report of another shooting, another injury, this time in Margarito's neighborhood. So he reaches back out to Margarito. Sale otro reporte de una persona lesionada en la colonia en Camino Verde, donde él vive. Y le mandé un mensaje de, text, de texto por, por WhatsApp y le dije, Margarito, una persona lesionada por arma de fuego. Y ya no, jamás me contestó. But Margarito never responds. A couple minutes later, Jesús gets a call from Margarito's wife. Para decirme, Jesús, me mataron a Margarito. Me lo mataron tells him that Margarito has been shot and killed. Jesus thinks that Margarito was shot right after they hung up. His voice starts breaking up a bit at this point. Jesus 
muy buena persona, muy humilde, muy entregado a su trabajo, a su familia. Margarita, la verdad, yo lo extraño mucho, la verdad. He tells me that he misses him. Jesus also tells me that despite the risk, he intends to continue being a journalist. He intends to continue doing what Margarito taught him how to do. Pues yo sigo los pasos de él porque él siempre me enseñó a hacer qué, qué hacer y qué no hacer. But for Jesus, following in Margarito's footsteps could easily cost him his life. The violence plaguing journalists in Mexico is fueled and shaped by many different forces. Some of them you've probably already heard of political corruption, the drug trade. But surprisingly, social media also plays a major role. Powerful, anonymous groups are publishing information that puts local journalists in harm's way. Many of them believe that these groups, most of them without a face hidden behind a screen, are responsible for Margarito's death. The Committee to Protect Journalists declared Mexico the deadliest country for journalists outside of war zones. Well, yesterday there was massive protests and vigils after another journalist was killed. And it's not just about the cartels. It's very easy to think, oh, it's because the cartel, it's because the drug dealers. No. Estamos hablando de que en México, este, pues la libertad de expresión está muy, muy cabrona. I'm Ariel Dimros, and this is Vice News Reports. I'm David Noriega. I'm a correspondent for Vice News. So, David, we know that journalists in Mexico have been dealing with rising violence for years now, and that's always been really hard to hear. But this year, the issue has gotten a lot more attention. Why is that? The issue has gotten a lot more attention this year simply because it has gotten really out of control. So far in 2022, and we're in the middle of May when we're recording this, there have been 11 journalists murdered. That's more than the entire number who were killed all of last year. There were two back-to-back murders in Tijuana of reporters. One of them was a woman named Lourdes Maldonado, and the other was a photojournalist named Margarito Martinez. And Margarito was Jesus's mentor, right? Yeah. So when we started investigating this story, we became really fixated on Margarito's case specifically. For starters, it takes place in Tijuana. Typically in Mexico, when you find violence going up in a particular place, it's because that place is in dispute by various, you know, cartels or factions of cartels. Um, And that is what's happening in Tijuana. So cartels are fighting each other. It's not just cartels as in criminals, it's cartels operating in alliance with corrupt politicians, right? Mm, So mm -hmm. you have this additional factor, which is when you have these conflicts, these armed conflicts between different factions of organized crime, those conflicts also have a dimension of information warfare, right? It's not just physical warfare in the streets with guns and bullets. It's a war of control over the story, the narrative that people who live in those places have in their heads about what it is that's happening. And all over Mexico, um, and, you know, particularly in Tijuana, that war for information takes place largely on social media and specifically on Facebook. Okay, and so what does that look like? What that looks like is 
this ecosystem of Facebook pages that share often extremely graphic and extremely detailed information about crime in this city. A lot of these pages are anonymous. And you also have people who do use their names uh, and show their faces, but are more sort of something of a combination between like influencer, blogger, and like citizen journalist types. And so in Tijuana and in this story, that person is a guy named Angel Peña. How does Angel Peña and Margarito, like how do those two interact? About a month before Margarito's death, Angel Peña confronts him on camera, right, during a Facebook live stream. So with his many, many followers watching, he walks up to him, points his phone at him, and accuses him of running two of those anonymous Facebook pages. You can see in the video that Margarito is scared. Like, you can see that he's freaked out by the fact that Angel Peña is accusing him of this. And that's because that accusation is incredibly dangerous. The reason that it's dangerous is because the, the, the pages that Peña is talking about are pages that publish in very graphic detail, the names and faces of individuals who participate in organized crime in Tijuana. That information is, is, is incredibly explosive. And so for Margarito to be accused of being sort of secretly behind these pages is, um, it's just incredibly dangerous. It sounds like these Facebook groups that you're talking about are honestly, very central to how information gets around in Tijuana. Definitely. Um, These pages are incredibly popular. The way that they talk about these things, the way that they talk about crime is very relatable to people. And so, you know, in some cases or in some senses, more than traditional media outlets, these pages are the go-to source of news for a lot of people. This also has to do with the fact that a lot of Mexicans, they don't pay for internet access, but they have smartphones. And when you have a smartphone, you get Facebook for free, right? Like even if you don't pay for a data plan, even if you don't pay for the internet, you can still access Facebook. So this is how people get their news. So Angel Peña makes this accusation live on Facebook. What happens then? Margarito is really, really scared because he knows he was essentially being accused of being a a messenger or a mouthpiece for one particular organized criminal group, which makes him a target for that group's rivals. And so one of the first things he does is he goes for advice to his colleague, Sonia de Anda, who's another veteran journalist. And we sat down with her and we asked her, you know, what was going on there. Margarito me marca, me manda mensajes y me dice que le preocupa que lo ubiquen a él con nombre y apellido y rostro como el responsable de esas páginas. She explained to us how some years ago, in the sort of mid-2000s, when violence in Mexico really exploded, journalists started banding together and deciding that they were no longer going to simply publish information from the cartels, right? So the cartels would try and manipulate the media by very sort of graphically or publicly murdering people and getting the media to report on it, thereby sending a message to the rivals. And a lot of media outlets and and individual reporters got together and said, well, we're no longer going to do that. We're not going to be mouthpieces for the cartels anymore. Aunque dejen sus narcomantas, 
aunque dejen sus amenazas eh, eh, junto con un cadáver destazado y demás, eh, se acordó no estar difundiendo eh, este tipo de mensajes. And so what happens is that the cartels instead turn to social media. And on social media, there's no middleman, right? The cartels can just start their own Facebook pages. And, you know, according to Sonia, that's what they do. The prevailing idea here is that these Facebook groups, I'm assuming especially the anonymous ones, have direct links to the cartels. That is the prevailing theory, although nobody knows for sure. But either way, what we know is that that's what most journalists believe. That's what Sonia de Anda believes. That's what Margarito believed. Por eso es que hoy, para nosotros, este tipo de, de, de páginas, este tipo de personajes, demostramos que sí nos están poniendo en riesgo. On the day of Margarito's death, at the scene of the crime, right, which is outside of his home, a number of his colleagues show up, including Sonia de Anda. It's hard to overstate how beloved Margarito was in Tijuana, right? He was this institution. He was like a legend. Everybody loved him. Not only was he a great journalist, he was a, he was a really good guy. And as they're sort of there, gathered together, kind of processing the fact that their, that their dear friend and colleague has been murdered, Angel Peña shows up. And this is the guy who, who publicly accused Margarito of running these pages and who many of the journalists present believe was directly responsible for his death. And, um, and he shows up and he starts live streaming. Se presenta este bloguero, hace una transmisión en vivo en nuestras espaldas, enfocándonos. And he starts talking shit. Like, he starts criticizing and attacking the journalists who are gathered there. He says, like... Aquí, está, aquí están los periodistas chayoteros del mismo sindicato de Margarito. You know, here are the, the chayoteros, the, like, sold-out journalists who were part of Margarito's group. Y bueno, ahí fue donde yo perdí los estribos. Me, me dejó venir. When this happens, Sonia completely loses it. Yo soy Sonia de Anda. And says, you're the reason Margarito is dead. You know, don't act like you don't know. She calls him all sorts of stuff. She calls him a pig. She calls him an asshole. It just really goes after Angel Peña has previously denied any connection to Margarito's death. He didn't respond to our requests for comment. The investigation into Margarito's death remains open. Sonia is pretty forthcoming about the responsibility that these anonymous groups have when it comes to journalist safety and, and specifically Margarito's death, right? Which makes me wonder what Jesus, his mentee that we met earlier, thinks about all of this. Like, does do Sonia and Jesus share the same view on this? Yo cuando hago estas preguntas sobre estas páginas anónimas y estos intereses y todo lo que está pasando acá, yo... Te soy honesto, te veo un poco incómodo, como que no quieres hablar sí, sobre no, ese tema. Es que, eh, I asked Jesús that question, and he immediately got really nervous. Sí, la verdad, pues yo no, me, yo no puedo hablar de esas páginas, la verdad. Mejor me, me aguardo ese, ese comentario. When I saw how nervous he was, I asked him, like, hey, you know, what's up? I, I can tell that you're a little 
nervous. It doesn't really seem like you want to talk about this. And he said, yeah, I, I would honestly just much rather not. Just so I understand, do you think that the concern for Jesus is that by talking about these Facebook pages, he might be next? Yeah, very much so. You know, I, I mean, he operates under the assumption, like like pretty much every other journalist in Tijuana does, that the reason Margarito, his his mentor and beloved friend, died was because he got mixed up with these anonymous pages. And so he just doesn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. You know what I mean? He just wants nothing to do with it. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, he was he was pretty explicit about it. He said his job is so dangerous, he's sort of so on thin ice at all times, that there are certain things that he just can't say, that he just can't talk about. So, you know, from there, I kind of just asked him, okay, so so what do you want to say? Es una pregunta que me gustaría no tener que hacer, pero si te llegara a pasar algo... You know, what do you want people to know about you? And especially if something were to happen to you. ¿Qué quieres que la gente sepa sobre ti? Pues lo más que si me llega a pasar algo a mí no es porque ande con delincuentes. Solamente esperemos que no pase. Pero si me llegara a pasar, solamente por llevar las noticias al momento de lo que sucede aquí en la ciudad de Tijuana, Baja California. I found his answer very, very moving. He said, obviously, first of all, he hopes that nothing happens to him. But if it does, he wants people to know that it's not because he was involved in organized crime. It's not because he was mixed up in anything, because he was getting paid by anybody. It's simply because he was doing his job. It's because he was reporting the news as it happens live in Tijuana. As I'm listening to you, the thing that is coming to mind is that these Facebook groups have a tremendous amount of power. And and I'm just I'm curious, how did that happen? Like, do we have a sense for who is behind these Facebook groups? So after weeks of um, reaching out on Facebook to several of these pages, one of them finally got back to us. It was um, Tijuana Guerra, right, which keeps coming up in the story. It's one of the two pages that Margarito was accused of running. And they agreed to speak with us. We wanted to, like, meet with them, um, obviously, and, and we asked them if they would be willing to meet with us. We, you know, said, well, obviously, we'll keep you anonymous, but we wanted to know who they were. But they said, absolutely not, no chance. We were like, okay, how about a phone call? And they were like, nope, no chance. All they were willing to do was do an interview in writing on Facebook, just 100% on their turf and on their terms. Because that was the only way that they could really make absolutely sure that there was no chance of finding out who they were. So I just asked how many people are behind these pages. Is it just one person or are there several? And, you know, I started with easy questions, but pretty quickly got to the main points that we all wanted to know about, which were, you know, first of all, is it true that you are instruments for the cartels? The answer is very interesting, although not entirely persuasive. They're basically saying, no, that's what everybody says about us, but it's not true. If there are certain names, certain criminals or certain cartels that show up more than others in the information that we publish, it's just because they commit the worst, most atrocious crimes. I also asked them what they thought about the allegations that the information they publish puts local journalists in danger. 
that says we've never picked any kind of fight with any reporter, even though they offend us, even though they insult us, we just ignore them. It says they're angry at us because we got a lot of followers in a very short time and without paying Facebook for publicity. And we have, we always get their news, we always get the news before them. They are always ahead of the news cycle and they have access to information that obviously, you know, journalists, well-sourced journalists could have access to some of this information, but but, but the degree and extent of the access that they have suggests that it's basically coming from the inside. Still being sort of slippery with regards to where they get their information, whether it's, you know, from anonymous sources or from uh, or, or from specific sources that they have inside of government agencies. Either the criminals who commit the crime or the police. And in both cases there, you're talking about people who are likely affiliated with organized crime. And then I turned the conversation to Margarito, and I asked them directly about the allegations that Margarito was killed because he was falsely accused of running their page. So I just said, there are a lot of people who say Margarito Martinez died because his murderers believed that he was the person behind this website. And he says, that was something very unfortunate. We had no connection with that man. We didn't even know each other. That attack against him made very clear that we are doing our jobs very well and that the narcos are very upset with our work. So David, how did your impression of these Facebook groups change after you had this conversation with this one page? It didn't leave me feeling like I had any more clarity, really, uh, like solid clarity on who these people were, because they did not really directly answer any of my questions. But at the same time, there were certain things about the way that they talked about things and the way that they talked about crime and their role in the sort of crime information ecosystem that I thought was very telling, right? They were very kind of cavalier about the way they talked about these things. They were cavalier even about the way that they talked about Margarito's death, which many people consider them to be indirectly responsible for. Um, And that just gave me this feeling, just this kind of sense that like, yeah, the hypothesis that everyone has that these guys are basically working for the cartels, I am more convinced of it than I was before. Even though they directly denied that accusation, I left feeling like, yeah, no, I kind of feel like that's probably what's happening. And it also just kind of made me realize how wild this landscape is, right? This landscape is that that, that, that people like Margarito and Sonia and Jesus and all of the people that we met have to operate and work and live within, right? It's this paranoid, incredibly dangerous universe where things can turn against you on a dime. And the journalists are up against these forces that are so much more powerful than they are. And the government, which theoretically should have the role of protecting them and creating the conditions for the free exercise of the press is just very much failing to do so. That's after the break.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So we went to Mexico City with the intention of asking the president of Mexico questions about this problem. And the reason we could do that is because the president hosts these daily conferences called Mañaneras. Um, These press conferences are pretty notorious for a lot of reasons. It's where a lot of reporters have kind of confronted the president about his failure to protect them. There's a very famous case, Lourdes Maldonado. Vengo también aquí para pedirle apoyo, ayuda y justicia laboral, porque hasta temo por mi vida. The reporter also from Tijuana, who was murdered around the same time as Margarito was murdered, very famously went to a mañanera a couple of years before her death and told the president explicitly that she feared for her life. So this was our opportunity to, um, you know, go straight to the top. The question that I wanted to ask was engineered specifically for AMLO because AMLO's thing, not just with this problem, but with many problems, is is basically refusing to take responsibility. You know, he, he blames the problems that happen under his watch on prior administrations and on sort of the entrenched political system of Mexico, which he's obviously not wrong, right? But it's also a way for him to not accept responsibility as the most powerful man in the country. Bueno, ahora sí le damos oportunidad a él. Todavía no te tocaba, pero ya estás muy... So, what I asked him was very straightforwardly. ¿Usted está dispuesto a reconocer que su gobierno, bajo su mandato, ha fallado y está fallando en establecer las condiciones necesarias para el libre ejercicio de la prensa en el territorio? Es decir, ¿está dispuesto, sí o no, a asumir la responsabilidad de este problema? Are you willing to recognize, are you willing to take responsibility for your government's failure in maintaining the necessary conditions for the press to work safely? Estoy asumiendo la responsabilidad. No solo eso. Estoy trabajando para garantizar la paz y la tranquilidad a los mexicanos. Y desde luego para proteger a los periodistas. You know, his answer was that not only does he accept the responsibility, but also he is working 
to guarantee peace for all Mexicans, which happens to include journalists. Um, and I, I pushed him on this because I said, you know, the, the problem is getting worse than ever. It's worse now than it's ever been right now under your watch. And that's, you know, he wasn't very happy with that. And that's when the exchange got a little bit tense. No, no es así. No es así. Hay una diferencia fundamental. Estos no son crímenes de Estado. Even though the numbers are very clear, right? There are more deaths now than there have been before. And he claimed um, that there was an important difference between the deaths that do still happen and the deaths that happened before, which is that these are not crimes committed by the state, right? So he's basically saying, yeah, maybe some journalists still get murdered, but we, I, have nothing to do with it. Um, and I asked, well... ¿Cómo se sabe si los casos no son... Ah, porque resuelto? tenemos este, todos los elementos. Te podemos dar... How do we know that if the cases aren't resolved, right? I mean, one of the biggest issues here is impunity, right? People just get away with murdering journalists. So, so how do we know that that's the case? And his answer was just like, well, we know that because we know, right? We know that because we have all the evidence. We can give it to you. Hmm. So it sounds like he isn't taking responsibility. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to be clear, there is something that he said is 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 very much true, the government does have a system to protect journalists who are under threat. It's, it's a, a, a protection mechanism that's provided by the government, not just to journalists, but to human rights defenders as well, um, right? Human rights advocates, environmentalists, people like that, um, who, who are believed by the government to be at risk. There are a few issues with that program. One of them is that there are several sort of levels of protection that the government offers. So everything from just like having the police check in on you every now and then to having full-on 24-hour bodyguard security details assigned to you at all times. And it's a very small minority of journalists that have this security detail. One of them is Ignacio Santiago, who lives in Oaxaca. We went to visit him to see how this program had been working out for him. He, he's very similar to a lot of these journalists that, we, that we're talking about in the sense that he's a local reporter who covers crime. You know, he's freelance. A lot of the work that he does is for social media, for Facebook, but also for, um, you know, more conventional outlets. And he is someone who has survived multiple armed attempts on his life. He never stays in one apartment for, I think, more than six months at a time. He sleeps on the floor of his studio where he does his broadcasts. We get to his house, and there are two armed guys standing outside. He has these armed bodyguards who are with him at all times. Hello, David. Buenos, buenos días. Mucho gusto, igualmente. Caballeros, ¿cómo les va? Pues aquí está. Vamos, para adentro te invito a pasar. Vamos. So when I go to meet him, you know, he opens the sort of gate to his front kind of patio and introduces me to his bodyguards. And so I say hi to him and to the bodyguards at the same time. Um, and then he shows me some of the other things that are involved in this protection program, specifically this like panic button. Se supone que este botón es un botón de emergencia. Eso te lo dio, eso te lo entregó el mismo gobierno federal. Así es. So Ignacio is pretty well protected because he has the bodyguards, right? But there are a lot of journalists out there who don't have the bodyguards and have lesser measures of protection, including these panic buttons. Para mí se me hace un botón muy tonto. Sinceramente, no sirve de nada tener este botón 
por muchas situaciones. And Ignacio is showing me this this little thing and explaining to me why he thinks it's basically useless. A ver, vamos a hacer una prueba si quieren. Dale. Tengo que promirlo. Cinco segundos hasta que vibre. So he clicks this button. Ya vibró, ya sonó. Y se supone que te tienen que llamar de inmediato, pero vamos a esperar el tiempo. The authorities are supposed to respond immediately, right? Right after he activates the button. But nothing happens right away. And so, you know, after about 30 seconds... Sí, bueno. Sí. Like a voice appears on the panic button, basically, and says, uh, you know, is this Ignacio Santiago? Um, did you press the button? Um, do you need any help? So the operator checks in on him, and Ignacio says, no, 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 it's all good. I just wanted to make sure this was working properly. And so they hang up. And he says this thing that really stuck with me, which is, this in a real emergency wouldn't do anything. What it would do is make it easier for the authorities to find your body. And so what Ignacio is pointing out there is that the source of the problem is like many levels before any of this would take place. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this mechanism for protecting journalists is in some senses, like there is no question that it has saved lives, but it is a band-aid, right? It does absolutely nothing to address, and it doesn't even purport to do anything to address the underlying issues of narco-violence, profoundly entrenched political corruption, and impunity. And the anonymous pages that we've been looking at directly undermine these goals. It's not only people like Sonia and Tijuana who are denouncing them. Ignacio also spoke about them during our conversation. Estas páginas anónimas nos meten en problemas por la manera en la que escriben, en la que exhiben problemas muy, muy fuertes, delicados prácticamente, que si nosotros lo abordamos, este, ya tenemos un precio en la cabeza. He said that trying to tackle the danger that these anonymous pages represent with their reckless coverage and their slanted angles means risking putting a price on their heads. En México, matar a un periodista te viene saliendo entre los 5,000 y 40,000 pesos. No es caro. And that killing a journalist in Mexico is really not expensive. It costs between $250 and $2,000. If this system is considered, you know, the crown jewel of what the government does to protect journalists, right? So much so that at this conference it's it's mentioned as as something that they're proud of and if it doesn't seem ideal if people like ignacia are like this isn't actually doing anything do local journalists have any suggestions for how to fix this like have they said what they think needs to happen when you ask them a question like that typically the answer is i mean it's like it's really hard right like nobody has the answer because these are giant systems that have existed for decades and are incredibly powerful. And so, like, how do you dismantle those systems? It's like, if the people who order hits on journalists were successfully prosecuted and suffered consequences for doing so, then maybe they would be safer, right? And that 
It's complicated because the reason that they're not prosecuted is because the system is fundamentally corrupt. It's not a problem that any individual is particularly equipped to resolve, but that is something that they say, right? It's like if the people who are killing us suffered consequences for killing us, and not just the not just not not really the people who pull the trigger, right? But the intellectual authors, the people who order us killed, then maybe things would be a little better. Right, which brings you back to the government. And right now what you have is a government that isn't even acknowledging the issue. Not just that, um, but actively antagonizing the press, right? And this is something that the president is notorious for doing. He loves to just sort of talk shit on journalists and specific reporters, right, by name and outlets. Um, you know, anybody who investigates or criticizes him. Um, and so he has this really openly hostile relationship with the press, which a lot of journalists believe obviously it's certainly not helping the problem and a lot of journalists believe actually might be contributing to this environment of danger that they have to operate in every single day the story of violence towards journalists in mexico is a story of corruption and cartels but at its core it's also a story about labor rights people who are simply trying to make a living and instead they're being hung out to dry Ignacio says that not being able to stay in a single place for his own safety affected his health. He fell into a depression. Por la preocupación que tengo siempre. O sea, me afectó muchísimo los desplazos porque yo termino cayendo en depresión, yo termino cayendo en problemas de salud, tengo muchos problemas de salud. He says that he never asked for enemies. Eh, son las secuelas de los desplazamientos y de ser un periodista que, pues, en su momento, yo no pedí este, tener enemigos. David, thank you. Thank you so much. This story was made in collaboration with her colleagues at El Hilo, Vice News and Radio Ambulante's weekly Spanish-language news show. You can find their version of this story in Spanish wherever you get your podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This episode was produced by Adriana Tapia. Special thanks to David Mora, Ani Ukar, and Gabriela Martinez, who originally reported this story for Vice News Tonight. Vice News Reports is produced by Sophie Kazis, Jen Kinney, and Adriana Tapia. Our senior producers are Sam Greenspan. Our supervising producers are Ashley Cleek and Stephanie Kariuki. Our associate producers are Steph Brown, Sam Egan, and Adriana Rodriguez. Sound design and music composition by Steve Bone, Pran Bandy, and Kyle Murdoch. Mixing by Evan Sutton. Our executive producer is Adiza Egan, and the VP of Vice Audio is Kate Osborne. Janet Lee is senior production manager for Vice Audio. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Our theme music is by Steve Bone. 
I'm Ariel Zimros. If you have some time this week, it'd be so great if you could go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and take the time to rate and review our podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Vice News Reports drops every Thursday, so be sure to check back in next week. 